that you gave him your only begotten son and that he came born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, shed his blood on that cross, died, was buried, and on the third day rose from the dead. And we celebrate that today and we're just so grateful that Jesus is alive. And as this word goes out here today, we just trust that that your word will will bring life and encouragement to people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Let's go to Matthew 28, verse 1. Matthew 28, verse 1. The the scriptures will be on the screen. If you didn't bring a Bible and you'd like to borrow one of ours for this service, you can raise your hand real high, and our ushers will be glad to loan you one of ours. Notice Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath... As the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. The ladies came. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Now that earthquake happened before they got there to the tomb. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. You know the Romans sealed that tomb off and and there was a guard there and... There's a big stone in front of the door. But notice, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat on it. Took up the best seat in the house. And then verse 3 says, His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. Now a lot of people think that that's the angel. That's, that's, That's not the angel, that's Jesus coming out of the tomb. Because you see, as you study scripture, when you see someone's countenance like lightning and their clothing white as snow that's that has to do with god for years i could i I, you know i knew jesus came out of the tomb because the bible is clear in all four gospel accounts but where do we have a scripture that actually actually shows him walking out of that tomb you have it right there in verse three his countenance was like lightning his clothing as white as snow how many of you know jesus walked out of the tomb didn't he And notice what happened to the guards. The guards shook for fear of him. Well, they put him in there dead three days earlier. You know, Joseph of Arimathea and whatnot. But those guards knew he was in there dead. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus walking out. His countenance like lightning. His clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They hit the deck, didn't they? And then the, the, the women show up in the process of time. The women show up and the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is what? He is Real loud say, he is risen. One more time, he is risen. Yeah, he is risen. Three of the most powerful words in existence. Why can I say that? Because the Bible says that God used his mighty power when he raised Jesus from the dead. So this right here speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question here that is asked by many. Why believe that he is risen? Why believe that? Well, I want to look at some things here to try to answer that question. First of all, it is a well-established historical fact that Jesus was publicly executed in Judea in the first century AD under Pontius Pilate by means of crucifixion. 
at the request of the Jewish Sanhedrin. And many non-Christian historical accounts back up the early Christian eyewitness accounts of the death of Jesus upon the cross. Now, skeptics will always be skeptical, regardless of the evidence, no matter how favorable and compelling it may be. However, there are three lines of evidence which prove Jesus' resurrection. First of all, the empty tomb. The empty tomb. Now think about this. Why didn't the Sanhedrin, that was the the Jewish religious leaders who who, uh, prompted Pontius Pilate to crucify Jesus. Why didn't the Sanhedrin exhume Jesus' body? You know what I mean by that? Put it on public display and thereby expose the quote-unquote hoax of the resurrection. That would have been very easy to do. Just go in there and bring his body out and lay it in the street. Is that right? They didn't do that. Notice what they did do. Notice Matthew 28, verse 11. Matthew 28, notice verse 11, starting in the middle of that verse. Notice, remember we just talked about the Roman guards who fell and hit the deck when Jesus walked out of the tomb. Notice what happens here. Some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together... I mean, they just told them that that guy walked out of that tomb. Angel came, the earth started shaking, angel came down, stone rolled back, and and that guy walked out of that tomb. His countenance was like lightning, his clothes white as snow. So they come in and they tell the religious leaders that. Now notice verse 12, when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them, Tell, tell the people, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Now, are you going to believe that? There's a guard out there, a Roman guard, a bunch of guys. Do you think the disciples are going to be able to sneak in there while all those guys are sleeping, roll that stone away and take Jesus out? But that's what they told. They gave him a bunch of money and said, Tell, you know, just tell the people his disciples came at night and stole them away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll appease him and make you secure. See, it was a, it was a plot that, to try to get people to think that the disciples came and stole his body out of the tomb. So they took, the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported, commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Well, how many of you know they didn't steal the body out of there? That doesn't even make any sense with the Roman guard. There's a Roman guard out there. The stone was sealed off against that door. We know what happened. There's an empty tomb. How many of you know when John, remember when Mary came, the ladies came and told Peter and John, you know, that Jesus is risen? Remember Peter and John ran to the tomb? And remember, John brings out that he outran Peter. Remember that? And they got to the tomb, but John wouldn't go in. Peter went in first, then John came in. Anyway, when they saw the empty tomb, the disciples believed. At least John did. See, the empty tomb is a reason to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. It wasn't his disciples that that snuck him out of there at night. Maybe you could believe that if the Roman guard hadn't been there. But they were there. No, they didn't sneak Jesus out. 
the angel rolled the stone away, Jesus was raised from the dead and he walked out. Amen? So that's one reason to believe the empty tomb. Here's another reason. Eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony. The Bible tells us that Mary Magdalene saw Jesus after he'd been raised from the dead. Peter and the other, the other apostles. The Bible also says over 500 uh, people, 500 brethren, saw him at the same time than James and Paul. So people saw Jesus after he had been raised from the dead. And also the Bible says in the book of Acts that Jesus presented himself alive to his apostles and of course, these other people, after his suffering, after he died on the cross, he presented himself alive by many infallible proofs, being seen by them for 40 days. After Jesus had been raised from the dead, there was about a 40-day period where at different times he appeared to, to different ones. At one time, he appeared to more than 500 people, and he showed them many con- convincing and infallible proofs that he had been raised from the dead. Now, early Christian historians cited hundreds of eyewitness, uh, eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection, some of whom documented their own experiences. Many of these eyewitnesses willfully endured prolonged torture and death rather than renounce their testimony. Most Christians could end their persecution and their family's persecution. Remember Nero and the, relig- the, the, uh, the political leaders of that day? Remember, they, they severely persecuted the Christians. And there were people that saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead, and in the midst of persecution, they held on to their testimony. They would not renounce it. All they'd have to do is say, you know what, maybe I didn't see him after he was raised from the dead. And instantly the persecution against them and the persecution against their family would stop. But they were so convinced that they had seen Jesus after he'd been raised from the dead that they would not renounce their belief and testimony that they saw him alive after he'd been crucified. But listen to this. While martyrdom is admirable, you know what martyrdom is? It's when somebody's put to death for what they believe. While martyrdom, martyrdom is admirable, it does not validate a fact as much as it shows the sincerity of the martyr's death, uh, as a martyr's faith. You know, did you get what I just said? While being put to death for what you believe, you know, that shows that you've got a solid belief, but it doesn't really prove the fact that, you know, what you're believing in is so. But listen to this. What makes the earliest Christian martyrs, including the apostles, remarkable is they knew whether or not what they were professing was true. See, if somebody comes in here and puts a gun to my head and says, you know, renounce Jesus or I'm going to blow your brains out. Well, I have to go on what somebody else told me and what somebody told them back for about 2,000 years. Do you understand that? But these people were firsthand right there. They knew what they saw. Do you understand that? And so what makes their martyrdom so remarkable is they knew whether or not what they were professing was true. They had firsthand knowledge. They either saw Jesus Christ alive and well after his death or they did not. If the resurrection was all just a lie, why would so many hold to it given their circumstances, you know? Why would, why would they all knowingly cling to such an unprofitable lie in the face of such brutal persecution, imprisonment, torture, and even death? 
What does that tell us? That tells us that they really saw Jesus after he was raised and they believed it with all of their heart. And they were not going to take it back even if it meant them being persecuted and put to death. Amen? And something else about the eyewitness accounts, because we've got the empty tomb. Now we're talking about, about eyewitness accounts. And I hope none of the ladies get mad at me on this, because I didn't say this. I, I, what I'm about to read here, this is, this is history. Listen to this. Talking about eyewitness accounts. In the gospel accounts, women are noted as the initial eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Is that right? Mary and the other ladies and whatnot, they, you know, Mary Magdalene. So in the gospel accounts, women are noted as the initial eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Now this is significant or important because in both the ancient Jewish and Roman cultures, women were severely disesteemed. Their testimony was regarded as insubstantial and dismissible. Women's testimony was regarded as so worthless that they were not allowed to serve as legal witnesses in a Jewish court of law. Now, given this fact, it is highly unlikely that any perpetrators of a quote-unquote resurrection hoax in the first century, first century Judea would choose women to be their primary witnesses, and yet they are cited by the gospel writers as the initial eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. In other words, if the gospel writers were trying to perpetuate a resurrection hoax, they would not have cited women as witnesses at all, and certainly not as the primary ones. Why did they cite the women as the primary witnesses? Because the women showed up, and the stone was rolled away, and Mary saw him first. Is that right? That's what actually happened. So they cited that. So people saw Jesus, and they held to their belief in the midst of persecution. What's a third reason to believe in Jesus' resurrection? And I think this one here is the most powerful of the three. What's the third reason? Is changed lives. Changed lives. Changed lives. Listen to this. Among the most notable of the eyewitnesses were the apostles. They collectively underwent an undeniable change following the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Immediately following his crucifixion, they hid in fear for their lives. Following the resurrection, they took to the streets, boldly proclaiming the resurrection despite intensifying persecution. What accounts for their sudden and dramatic change? Well, the apostles gave up everything they had to preach the resurrection, including their lives. But what, why did they change so? Because they saw Jesus alive. Amen? Amen? And they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, you know, and, and they went out on the streets. But you know what? They saw Jesus alive. You see, they saw him crucified on the cross and put in the tomb, and now they're hiding for fear. But once they see him alive, now they're taking to the streets. You've got changed lives. Amen? But listen to this. Saul of Tarsus. Have you ever heard of Saul of Tarsus? How many ever heard of Saul of Tarsus? He was, by his own admission, a violent persecutor of the church. After what he described 
as an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ, Saul underwent an immediate and drastic change from a vicious persecutor of the church to one of its most ardent defenders and became known as the Apostle Paul. Like many early Christians, Paul suffered persecution, beatings, imprisonment, and execution for his steadfast commitment to Christ's resurrection. I think all you have to do is really look at the Apostle Paul. He went from Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, if he'd have come here today, he'd have tried to have you beat up and whipped and put in prison. And he would have loved to see you be put to death and me put to death for our belief in Jesus. But the resurrected Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and a bright light shined and knocked him to the ground. And, that, and the, Jesus said to him, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and say, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. Amen. Remember that? And the man, just that quick, went from being Saul of Tarsus, a mean, mean, mean guy, to the beloved Apostle Paul. Now, only the resurrection power of Jesus Christ can do that. Yes, we have the empty tomb. Yes, we have eyewitnesses. But I think even more powerful than all of that is we have changed lives. We have changed lives. Let me talk a little bit more about changed lives. You know, the Apostle Paul, and you can be turning there if you would, to 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen. 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen, talking about changed lives here as a proof of the resurrection of Jesus. You know, Paul utilized a method of proof that's used in mathematics. And I studied mathematics in college, so he used a, a method of proof used in mathematics called contradiction. Real loud, say contradiction. 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 In other words, here's what, here's what that means. In other words, suppose the thing you are trying to prove is not true. And then find a contradiction. When the contradiction is found, the initial statement is then proven as true. Notice here in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ is not risen, so let's, I mean, we, 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 we believe that he is, but let's just assume that he's not. Suppose he's not been risen. He says your faith is futile or your faith is useless and you're still in your sins. So let's suppose Christ is not risen. Well, if Christ is not risen, then no changed lives. If Christ is not risen, then there's no changed lives. What's the contradiction? There's a whole bunch of changed lives. What does that prove? Christ is risen. Amen? Saul of Tarsus becoming Paul, that's a big one right there. And then a few years ago, I remember I had several church members. They, they wrote out for me what they were like before they came to Jesus and tapped into his resurrection power and what they were like afterward. And I, I read about a dozen of them. And, and we saw that before people came to Jesus, they were miserable. They were mean. They were gossipers. They were crabby. They were always... But they came to Jesus, they had a frown, but they came to Jesus, tapped into resurrection power, and the resurrection power turned the frown upside down. Amen? And they became very happy and, and full of joy and full of life, and they quit gossiping, and they quit backbiting, and they quit, they quit being miserable, and they became joyful people. Amen? 
How many remembers that when I did that a few years ago? That right there to me is the biggest proof that Jesus is alive. You know, one of the biggest proofs I ever got that Jesus is alive was had to do with my dear wife here. Back many years ago, I was going through some, some old pictures. And I remember I pulled this one picture up and I looked at the picture and I, and I, I knew, I looked at that picture and I knew it was, was Diane, but you know what I said to myself? I said, that's not my Diane. No, I knew it was her. This was back years ago. I looked at it, and I said, but that's not my Diane. That's not my Diane. Now, I knew it was Diane. I said, that's not my Diane. So I went to her, and I showed her. And I said, this is you, but that's not you. And she looked at it, and she said, oh, that's before I gave my heart to Jesus. Did you get what I just said? So that's before I gave my heart to Jesus. That's before I tapped into resurrection power. See, and that resurrection power made her into a new person. If any man be in Christ or any woman be in Christ, any boy or girl be in Christ, old things are passed away and all things are become new and all things are of God. Amen? And that's what happened. She tapped into that resurrection power and it changed her on the inside. And she became somebody new. And then I went on through the pictures and I wanted to try to find one after, just after she got saved. And I found one there just, just sometime after she'd got saved. And I said, yep, that's my Diane. Amen. How, how many of you are glad for the power of the resurrection? Amen. Because it changes people's lives when they tap into it. So you want some proofs of the resurrection? Well, we've got an empty tomb. We've got eyewitness accounts. But we've got perhaps the most powerful of all. We've got changed lives. So I'm so glad Jesus has been raised from the dead. So you see, if he's not risen, we, we don't have any hope, do we? You know, I, I, I talked about changed lives. If he's not risen, then no changed lives. But just listen to a few other things the Bible says about what happens if he's not, or what would be the case if he's not risen? Listen to this. If he's not risen, we must remain bound by our sins and cannot be saved, cannot be born again, cannot be hooked back up with the life of God. We must remain spiritually dead and separated from God. So that's just kind of re-saying what I already said, no chained lies. But listen to this. If he's not risen, we must be judged by God based on our own merit and endure his wrath. If he's not risen, we must fear death because hell awaits. If he's not risen, we're not able to go to heaven upon death. We have no heavenly citizenship and no eternal inheritance. If he's not risen, there will never be a resurrection from the dead. How many of you know people got raised from the dead in the Old Testament? They even got raised from the dead in Jesus' ministry. How many of you know that? But you know the difference between them and Jesus is they all died again. Jesus, when he came out of that tomb, uh, he conquered death never to die again. Amen? And he's given, he, he's given that life to us. And though we will live out our lives, you know, if the rapture doesn't take place in our lifetime, which I believe that it will, you know, where the Lord comes back and takes, takes the Christians to heaven. But we won't get into that this morning. But, you know, if, we're, if we were to die... Live out our lives. I plan on living mine out. How about you? Die. But you know what? The Bible talks about that rapture of the church and the resurrection of the dead. Amen? 
But that's only made possible because Jesus walked out of that tomb. So if he's not risen, then we don't have that to look forward to. If he's not risen, the Bible says we're under the devil's feet, subject to all of his cohorts, demons, sickness, depression, and poverty. If Jesus is not risen, we will not be shown God's kindness throughout eternity. If Jesus is not risen, we are without God's protection. If Jesus is not risen, we have no hope and nothing to live for and are to be pitied. But there's good news. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. So as I said earlier, skeptics will be skeptical. How many of you found that out? You know, the Bible says there were people that actually looked at Jesus, the resurrected Lord, and still doubted. How many of you know Thomas? Remember Thomas? Because he wasn't there when Jesus appeared to him there at at the first, you know, after Jesus was raised from the dead. And Thomas said, unless I can see him and touch him, I will not believe. How many remembers that? But then in the process of time, Thomas saw him and touched him and he believed. Yes, skeptics will be skeptical, but you know what? Ultimately, it takes faith. You're either going to believe it or you're not. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have what? Believed. And that's what faith is all about. Not seeing it, not feeling it, not tasting it and all of that. But you believe it. And you know, we talked about tapping into that resurrection power. It takes faith. And faith alone to tap into the resurrection power of Jesus. Amen? It takes faith and faith alone. You know, the Apostle Paul made the statement. He said, he said that I may know him, may I know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. How many of you want to know that power this morning? How many of you would like to tap into that power? There's only one way to do it, and that's through faith. That's through believing. Faith and believing is the same thing. And, and you know, people try to, I've watched this for years, people try to tap into that resurrection power in various and sundry ways. You know, some people think if they become a member of a church that they tap into the resurrection power by becoming a member of a church. How many of you know church membership is important, but church membership doesn't cause you to tap resurrection power? Did you know that? I said, did you know that? There's some people think if they're water baptized that that water will tap resurrection power, but it doesn't. Thank God for water baptism. Jesus commanded it. Christians need to be water baptized. But you get water baptized after you've tapped the power. Water baptism doesn't help you to tap the power. Only the blood of Jesus washes away sin, not water. And and over the many years, the one thing that I've found that people use the most to try to tap Resurrection power is good works. Do you know there's a lot of people that they believe that they've tapped resurrection power because they're, they're good. There's a lot of people who believe they're going to go to heaven just because they're good. The most interesting thing in the Bible that I see along these lines has to do with a man named Cornelius. You can read about him over in the book of Acts. The Bible says he was a devout man. He reverenced God. He was a good husband and father. He gave generously to the poor. He prayed to God regularly. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You'd think that man, if anybody was going to go to heaven, that man would. If anybody would tap resurrection power, that man would by all the good works that he had. But yet an angel from God appeared to him and said to Cornelius, Call for Peter and he'll tell you what you must do. 
What do you mean what I must do? I'm a devout man. I'm a devoted man. I reverence God. I'm a good husband and a good father. I give generously to the poor. I pray every day. You're going to tell me what he... I need to get Peter to have him tell me what I must do. Yep, go get Peter. Tell him what you must do. We're talking, we're talking about tapping resurrection power. And so he called for Peter. Peter came. And Peter, in short, preached the gospel to Cornelius and his house. He talked about Jesus dying on the cross. He talked about him being buried, being raised from the dead. And, and Cornelius and his house believed And when they believed, realize they believed, when they believed, they tapped in to resurrection power and they got saved. They became a Christian. They got born again. Glory to God. You see, good works, listen to me. I want to tell you something about good works. Good works are not the root of your salvation. Good works are the fruit of your salvation. Did you hear what I just said? You can look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Turn there with me if you would. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. Notice this. For by grace you've been saved through what? Through faith. Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of what? Not of works. Lest anyone should boast. That's pretty clear, isn't it? But then we look at verse 10, says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What does that tell us? That tells us that we tap resurrection power as a result of repenting of our sins and placing our faith in Jesus. Apart from works, we get saved. We tap resurrection power. But then after that, after we've tapped resurrection power then there'll be an abundance of good works. Amen? That's, that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. One of the most dangerous things, though, is when people are like Cornelius. I talked to him, uh, uh, mentioned him just a moment ago. Remember, he was full of good works. But yet he was lost, wasn't he? And that's so dangerous. People that trust in their good works... I've had people say to me over the years, well, I have a place in heaven. And I say, why? Because I'm a good person. They're full of good works. And they trust in those good works. But good works won't put you in heaven. Good works, I have to be honest with you, will put you in hell. The Bible says our good works, our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have to realize that it's only through repentance, turning from our old life, placing our faith in Jesus apart from works, that we tap resurrection power. And then he'll empower us to do good works. Amen? And I could read you numerous scriptures about tapping resurrection power, just a few. Listen, listen to this. But as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And I want to talk to you about John 3.16 for just a second, because a lot of people misunderstand that verse. It's the most popular verse in the Bible, I believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, what? Believes in him will not perish. That means go to hell, but have everlasting life in heaven. That word believe does not just mean to just mentally accept. Did you hear me? That word believe there means to totally sell out to. 
Did you hear what I just said? To totally sell out to Jesus. So whosoever will totally sell out to him, believe on him with all their heart and sell out to him, that person will be saved. And there's many scriptures I could read to you. Look at Romans 10 and 9. Look at Romans 10 and 9. Look at this one if you would. Many of you are familiar with this, but on Resurrection Day, we want to read this one. Romans 10 and 9, how do I tap resurrection power? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, not just a mental acceptance, but a heart sellout. You sell out your heart to him. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has what? Has what? Raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Amen? That resurrection is important, isn't it? It's just as important as the cross. It's a package deal, isn't it? The virgin birth, sinless life, death on the cross, shedding of blood, burial, resurrection. Praise God forevermore. But we must confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead. And we'll be what? We'll be saved. That's how you tap resurrection power. So as I close this message today, I want to ask you a question. It's the same question asked by Pontius Pilate. What shall I do with this Jesus who is called Christ? Remember that? How many remembers that question? What shall I do with this Jesus who is called Christ? Will I accept him or will I reject him? Will I believe on him or will I doubt him? I've got an empty tomb. I've got eyewitness accounts. I've got changed lives all around. Am I going to believe on him or or am I going to doubt him? You must remember this. There's no way around Jesus. There's no way to avoid it. A question that every person must answer. What will I do with this Jesus who is called Christ? The only way to God, not the best way, but the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. Did you hear what I just said? Not, he's not the best way, because if he's the best way, that means that there are some other ways. He's the only way. Did you hear me? Jesus himself said, no one comes to the Father except through him. Is that right? He said, except by me. Is that right? Remember what Pilate did? He went and got a basin of water, and what did he do? He washed his hands. What did he try to do? He tried to be neutral. There's a lot of people in this day trying to be neutral. Well, I don't want to accept Jesus, but I don't want to reject him. I want to straddle the fence. I don't want to take a stand on anything. I'll tell you right now, to remain neutral is to be lost. To remain neutral is to to, to reject. You're either going to accept him and live for him, or you're not. Will good works get you into the resurrection power? Nope. There's only one way, that's to repent. That's to turn from your old life and believe on Jesus. Amen? There may be some here today that's never done that. They've never, they've never ever repented of their sins and asked Jesus into their heart. But you can do that today. And you can tap resurrection power. Yet there's others here today that maybe you're like the prodigal son. You 
lived for God at one time. You were close with Jesus at one time. But like the prodigal son left his father's house and wanted to go out and do his own thing. And he wound up in the pig pen, didn't he? But the Bible says he came to his senses and he said, I'm going to go back to my father's house. And he, with a repentant heart, he went back to his father's house. And you know his father received him. Amen. If you've been not living with God and you've been away from God and, and you want to get back with God, you can do it. Just repent. Just turn from that stuff you've been doing and, and head back toward Jesus and he'll receive you back. Amen? Amen. You know, I think about this one scripture every, every year. I actually think about it regularly. There's a scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes that says this. The, the writer there of the book of Ecclesiastes says, I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. What does he mean by that? He says, I watched people go to church week in, week out, week in, week out, or go to church once in a while. They come to church. They come to the place of the holy. They come to the place of the holy, and then they leave and they go their ways unchanged, unchanged. I watched and I saw people come to the place of the holy, but then they leave unchanged and they eventually, in the process of time, they die and go to hell. And that was striking to the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes and it's something I've observed over the many years how people can come regularly to the house of God. They can sit regularly or just even occasionally under the teaching of the Word of God, and yet they leave the way they came. They leave unchanged. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? Now, one reason that people come and go from church and they leave unchanged is because the Word of God isn't being taught there. So there's nothing for them to hear that would change them. But then there's something else that causes people not to change, and it's that they never decide to repent and place their faith in Jesus. I believe I've taught you the word of God here today. I believe I've told you enough here today that you can tap resurrection power. So just don't leave here today unchanged. Amen. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Hell isn't talked about much anymore these days. But I'm one preacher. I'm going to keep talking about it because just as heaven is real and heaven is holy hell is hot and hell is bad and that's what that's what the death burial and resurrection of jesus is all about it's it's about getting you the life of god in you here and now but it's also about keeping you out of a bad place called hell you know i've been thinking about the unusual uh, way that hell is barricaded God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Have you ever tried to get in somewhere and it was barricaded and you couldn't get in? You know, hell, God has barricaded hell so well because he doesn't want anybody to go there. You see, a lot of times, you know, people will think, well, you know, you know, God, he's an angry God, and, he, you know, people going to hell, blah, blah. You know that if somebody goes to hell, they're out of the will of God? 
God has barricaded hell, and, and what do I mean barricaded hell? He's barricaded. He doesn't want anybody to go there, yet people go there all the time. What do I mean barricades of hell? Think about this. The Holy Spirit stands between you and hell with the Word of God, drawing you, drawing you, drawing you. The Holy Spirit with the word of God, stands between you and hell. And not only that, but there's believers that the Holy Spirit has warning you and loving you and telling you the truth of the gospel. That believer stands between you and hell. God has preachers that he has stand in pulpits and, and on television, on radio, that, that, that he's put there as barricades between you and hell, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. He's barricaded hell with the cross. There's a cross that stands between you and hell. He's uh, some unusual barricades uh, to hell. The greatest, the greatest barricades you could ever, 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 ever imagine. And God put them there. And the cross is one of them. There's a cross of Jesus Christ that stands between you and hell. There's the blood of Jesus that was shed on that cross that stands between you and hell. And there's a loving Savior with nail-scarred hands outstretched to you that stand between you and hell. Did you hear me? And yet I've watched over the many years that there's people that they, they, they you know, to get into some place that's barricaded, you have to move those barricades, don't you? And God has barricaded hell. He's barricaded the gates of hell so that he doesn't want anybody to go in there. But to get in the place that's barricaded, you've got to move those barricades. And I've watched people, they've moved the Holy Spirit out of the way and they've kicked him out of the way. And, and, and when he draws them, they don't listen. They don't, and he just, they, they push him out of the way. They, 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 they throw the Bible out of the way. They kick the Word of God out of the way. When believers come and try to tell them about Jesus, they disregard them and say, leave me alone. I don't want to hear all of that. And when preachers stand and declare the Word of God and then they don't listen to it, what are they doing? They're moving these barricades. They're moving these barricades. The cross stands before them and they throw the cross aside. The blood of Jesus stands between them and hell. They throw the blood of Jesus aside and finally the risen Savior stands there without Stretch nail scarred hands and they push him aside and once you've pushed all these other things aside guess what there's nothing that stands between you and hell and I wonder how many people here today you've removed the barricades between you and hell I wonder how many people are here today that you've come to the place of the holy over the years but yet you've never been affected You've never allowed the word of God to affect you. You've never tapped resurrection power. You've never been changed. And you've been moving these barricades over all these years. One thing I've learned about God is he's gracious, he's long-suffering, and he'll deal with people year after 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 year. But you know what? There comes a time. When God will stop dealing with you. Don't let that be the case with you. 
Today, if you were to go to Jerusalem, there's a sign at the tomb of Jesus in Jerusalem. It's declaring, he is not here, he is risen. I wonder what the sign on your heart says today. Is there a sign on your heart saying, he is not here? Or is there a sign on your heart saying, he is risen? Here. If there's a sign on your heart saying, he is risen here, you've got much to live for. But if you're here today and the sign on your heart is, he is not here, you're in trouble. You're not in trouble with me, you're just in trouble. Did you hear me? And so I want to invite you. Maybe you came here today and there's a sign on your heart that says, he is not here. But you know what? You can leave with a sign, that sign being changed, he is risen. How do I do that? By repenting of your sins and asking Jesus to come into your heart. Stand with me if you would. I don't need the altar workers to come forward right now. We're going to pray a congregational prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Right before we dismiss, we're going to pray a prayer. Now I want to tell you something about this sinner's prayer. I prayed the sinner's prayer with a lot of people over the years, and you know what? They just kept right on sinning. Sinner's prayer won't do you any good unless you pray it with a repentant heart, with a heart that's sold out to Jesus. If you just pray the sinner's prayer, just, well, I'm going to pray this to get my ticket punched to heaven, and you just go right on sinning, then the sinner's prayer didn't do you any good. But if you'll pray this prayer with a, a sincere heart, that sign on your heart can be changed from He is not here to He has risen here. I sense that there are some people here today that you've never, ever asked Jesus into your heart. You need to do that before you leave today. He'll change your life. He'll make your life worth living. Today, new life will come in. You'll be changed. Yeah, you'll miss hell and make heaven, but today there'll be a change as well. I sense there's other people here that, that you've gotten away from the Lord. You've, you've grown cold. But I tell you what, this is a time to get back with the Lord. So when we pray this prayer, do it with a heart of repentance and mean it with your heart. And just in a moment of time, you can get to that place you need to be with Jesus. You'll be glad you did. Say this. Say, Oh God in heaven, I come to you with a repentant heart. I realize I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. So I throw myself upon your mercy. I ask Jesus right now, Come into my heart. I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. Therefore, according to the word of God, I am saved. I'm a Christian. I'm going to miss hell and I'm going to make heaven. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus for coming into my heart and saving me now. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, if you prayed that prayer right after we dismiss, there'll be some men and women standing up here. You come up here and tell them you prayed that, and they'll rejoice with you. And God said, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. It's important that you come up and tell somebody. Amen? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm glad I came today. Praise God. Say there's an empty tomb. There's eyewitnesses. There's changed lives. There's resurrection power. Say, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And he lives big in me. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hey, greet a couple of people and you're dismissed. Have a good day.